Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. This episode is brought to you in part by Dice Bart. Dice Bard is an online shop with a great selection of dice and sales that rotate every 24 hours. So if you ever have your sights set on a specific set but not a lot of cash, it won't be long till it goes on sale. Running for new players and want to get them quickly acquainted with the different dice they'll need? The Complete Adventures Dice Kit has 29 color-coded dice that are easy to distinguish while reaching hastily across the table so they can roll damage for their fireball spell. Visit DiceBard.com and use the code DMVAN at checkout to get free expedited shipping and let them know that we sent you. DiceBard has everything you need to play Dungeons & Dragons, as long as all you need is dice. This episode is also brought to you in part by Libris Arcana, Canada's premier dice subscription service. Every month you can get a new complete set from D4s to D20s delivered straight to your door. Dice themes are new each month and can be anything your mind can imagine and more. Visit LibrisArcana.com to get a subscription for just $7.97 Canadian each month. Use the promo code DMVAN to let them know we sent you. Be prepared to open up new worlds of adventure with Libris Arcana. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking to Adam Brooks of RPG Kitchen. Hey Adam, how's it going? Good, thanks. Yeah, how's it going with you? Doing all right, Sean? Pretty good. Nice. Um, so Adam, tell us a bit about, I guess, RPG Kitchen first off, and then we wanted to talk a bit about your the game you're working on called Expediate, I think you said it was? Yeah, that's the one. So, um, quick intro to RPG Kitchen. Um it's our mission, which is mostly my mission right now, uh, but it's our mission to help people create, share, and play role-playing games and use the proceeds to help feed the hungry. So our, our motto is feed the hobby, feed the hungry. And basically the mission is about uh, helping grow the tabletop hobby and using, using that to help, help feed people, basically. That's super awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a long time coming. It's, it's been building up, but it's starting to grow, uh, starting to pick up momentum now. That's great. So, um, how how does RPG Kitchen work? At the moment, the the product, uh, the thing that you can use, is a library. Uh, it's a bit like a Netflix or a Kindle Unlimited. Uh, subscribers pay a small monthly fee, and they get access to a bunch of role playing books, which they can look at read uh, on the website and we've got a variety of stuff so we've got some uh, something from some small indies and we've got some i don't know how to pronounce this but team john ringham the people who did some barroom we're very lucky to have about 20 of their books in the library which is awesome and hoping to add some grim and perilous soon as well oh nice they're uh, they do Zweihander, right that's right yeah yeah i have heard of Zweihander, but never played it. But I hear good and also brutal things about it. <laughs> yes, indeed, yeah. All right, so you, uh, we were talking beforehand, and you you said that you've been working on a game. You, you've been working on a game. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah, so as part of um, part of the mission to, to help the hobby, I want to make role-playing accessible so that, in theory, it's a cheap hobby, in theory, um, there aren't that many barriers, and I wanted to help more people be able to play. So I started working on a game that was provisionally going to use 
very few dice and basically be free to free to play free to access but i did some asking around and at least a certain contingent of people said actually people just want D. so i i gave i put that aside for now and went back to a game i'd previously been working on and i'm just changing that game expediate to make it um require fewer dice and basically it's going to be a free game the core will be free and uh hopefully everything digitally about it will be free we'll have to see how that goes that sounds that sounds really cool so uh like what kind of game is it like what i guess genre would you say it is i i call it for short not dnd <laughs> <laughs> so i basically started it because i love dnd and i've been playing dnd for years but uh a little while ago i got frustrated because for me it, it got to the point where many combats were uh, oh yeah i run up to that guy and then, then I hit him every round until he's dead. And then if I can avoid moving, I'll avoid moving. I'll turn to the next guy. If I have to move, I'll move. And then I'll hit that guy until he's dead. And there wasn't much movement. There didn't seem to be much tactics. It could have been the GM, to be fair. But I kind of felt that with D&D. It, it didn't really encourage tactics. So that's one of the reasons I started working on Expediate. Was It's basically D&D with a bit more movement and tactics. You have to kind of think about where you stand and use your abilities a bit more wisely. Uh, also, um, you level up really quickly. I, I got quite frustrated. I think 5th edition has addressed this somewhat, but I got frustrated saying 3.5, waiting ages, leveling up, killing monsters, doing good things, getting that XP, leveling up, and then getting like plus one will save and two skill points. You go, woo! look at me. I've been adventuring for 14 encounters, whatever it is. <laughs> And I've got plus one will save. Okay, so then how does the leveling system work? Like, is it inspired by what you encounter in a in a combat? Or is it a more, like, uh, just a smaller experience kind of gap? Yeah, the way it works is uh, after every challenging encounter, after every uh, reward the GM wants to give you, after every uh, quest, whatever, you get XP. And it's a point-based system, so you can spend those XP immediately. And so you get smaller gains more frequently. There are still levels, but levels basically only exist to provide uh, guidance and level caps. So, for example, you can level up a skill every time you get XP, but that skill can't go above your level. So there are plenty of free or cheap RPGs right now. It's like Especially if you go to somewhere like DriveThruRPG, people are putting all sorts of stuff up. So why... Did you decide to build a new game rather than just maybe using something that's already existing for what you're doing? Yeah, so there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one, the simplest one, I'd already started this game anyway. That's a basic one. Uh, two, from what I had seen anyway, from my albeit limited experience of free games, they tended to be on the simpler side of things, you know, maybe a few pages. And I really wanted to... Um, give like that full level of crunch to a free game so that it's not cut down at all there's still all the options you can still do all the things and you're not getting something less just because you're not paying for it if that makes sense yeah it's kind of like the difference between the dnd beginners uh box set that has a pared down version of the rules like i think it's basically the the free fifth edition rules that you can get online 
and the full actual game. Exactly. Yeah. The the sometimes the free games you get are smaller or cut down or they haven't been invested in. And that I think that's fair because a lot of people, you know, they're making their games to make money, either as a hobby or as their job or as their business. They're they're doing it to make money, and that is their objective. Uh, amongst other things, I'm sure everyone has other objectives, but that's not what I'm trying to do. So that gives me the advantage. I can do crazy stuff that other people can't because I'm not doing it to make money. That's now, I mean, that's, that's true, right? It's, it's really great. Like that, I think wizards and Paizo put out free versions of their games, but they're, they are a bit lesser because, you know, they still have to make a profit because they're a big company. They have however many employees. Uh, are you, are you primarily working on this on your own as far as the writing level, or are you working on it with anyone else? At the moment, it's mostly on my own. I've got a couple of teams of playtesters, and I've got a good group of people around me I can ask for feedback. Uh, I've got a Discord going, and I can get feedback there, but mostly I'm writing it. Cool. Are you planning on running it as like a purely free game or like a pay-what-you-want, and maybe the proceeds go to the, the chip, to RPG Kitchen or something like that? Yeah, so what I want to do is have the digital version be free, and with the physical products, if it if it does go to print, I'll do a model whereby for every copy that someone buys, there'll be a free copy available for someone who can't afford to buy it. And that's fantastic, I think, because part of what is fun about owning an RPG is having that, that book, because playing something off of a PDF means you've got to have a laptop handy or you've got to be always on your tablet. And having a physical book, I found rather than trying to use a laptop as a reference or something like that, having an actual book, well, the tactile experience is much more fun. Being able to flip to and bookmark pages so that while you're in a game, you can just get straight to what you need versus being on your laptop or whatever. And sometimes, and I've definitely heard other people complain about this online, but having sometimes your your laptop as your GM tool sometimes means that your players feel free to get on their phones or not pay attention. But I think having a book for this RPG, I think it'll help people that have always wanted to have a book to play and feel more like a real RPG rather than just stuff they've printed off online. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, and it's, I think it's easy to forget because um, we all kind of sit at the state of privilege where, you know, we have computers and we have smartphones and stuff like that, but like not everybody can afford those things all the time. Some people only have access to a computer when they're at the library or when they're at school. Like, so having a physical version, especially one on the model you're talking about where, you know, one person buys one and somebody else gets a free copy is fantastic for, for people like that who want to play, but maybe don't have the, the tech necessary to just do it all like whenever they want, if they have it on their phone or whatever. Definitely. Definitely. The other fun thing that I, I hope to do is I think it's Expedia is similar enough to D and D that I'm hoping to reach out to, um, some of the many, many people who create five, five uh, e <laughs> fifth edition content, and get their permission to convert their work over to Expedia, and then potentially do a revenue share or uh, some similar model, whereby basically Expedia can get bigger, um, it can spread its reach by including other people's work, and making it more about 
eventually more about a community of work rather than just my work. There'll be the core bit of it. And then I, I hope to make it so that other people can add to that, can add their two pence in and potentially earn from it too. That's really awesome because I think uh, one of the things that probably helps somebody get into a game is knowing that there's lots of content out there because D&D just has this huge huge market share. So, of course, everybody's making stuff for that. But if you can right out of the gate have some modules or other homebrew content that people want to uh, have part as part of your game, I think that'll help make it even more attractive to people who are frankly inundated with choices these days because of everything that that's out there but uh, having some extra content to help people get into the game i think that's a really good idea yeah one of the biggest bits of feedback i got when i was researching the free rpg idea was that actually what people want are modules they can get hold of games if they want them <laughs> if they really want D, they will get it but the thing they could really use are adventures because often some of the people I've been talking to, it's it's teachers running games at schools or, I don't know, students running games for fellow students in schools, and that's how a lot of it's picking up. And they can get the books, but they don't yet have the know-how. So for them, having access to scenarios is a big thing. I think that's a, another really interesting idea for this, actually, like schools and stuff like that, because like, D&D is not that expensive if you have a bit of money but like you know for a school who you know maybe they can justify buying a copy of the monster manual the dmg and the player's handbook well what if what if there's more demand and they also want you know somebody else wants the monster manual or their player's handbook because you know they're running for 10 people at this point or whatever like a, a game that's free that has a physical like has a physical edition, but also where you can also legally acquire a free digital copy would be really useful for institutions like that, that are trying to bring it, you know, to their students or whatever, but don't maybe have the spare money to, you know, buy $60 books all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So talk to me about the, the other bits and pieces that somebody needs to use a game when it comes to trying to design a, an RPG that you can, give away for free basically you have to have thought about what else is required to play this game stuff like dice and pencils and stuff like that so i'm curious for somebody to like if somebody has a copy of your book that's just been handed to them what else would they need to to play that's a good question so there's the usual uh pen pencils paper be able to make notes make a character sheet that sort of thing there isn't a couch sheet yet, but I'm hoping to get a nice one done up that people will be able to print off if, if they're able to. If not, I guess uh, throw some, maybe throw some into the book when we come to that. But the other thing is the earlier editions of the game did result in people ro rolling 50 or 60 D8s uh, for their dice pool, which was kind of fun, uh, probably overkill. And that was only at about 6th or 7th level as well, so that was, that was scaling fast. So a big thing I've done in this current version of the game is reduce the size of the dice pools, so you won't ever really need much more than 10d8. I know it's an awkward dice, and I do feel bad about that sometimes, um, but I kind of like them, and I think once you've got a handful, it's an investment, but once you've got them, then, then you're good. 
Well, the, the thing, too, is, like, if it maxes out at 10, worst comes to worst, you can, you can do all your rolls with a single dice. It's not the most convenient, but it, it's doable. And, like, what, a single dice here in a game shop is, like, a dollar, I think? So it's uh, it, it can be affordable. Yeah, the other thing is, it's while it's called Expediate, actually, a lot of the time, other dice will be substitutable fairly easily. All right. So um, if you don't have any D8s, but you happen to have a, a load of D6, which is fairly common, then you could probably substitute those in without, certainly without breaking the thing too bad. Yeah, just grab a couple out of like a box of, I don't know, Monopoly or whatever board game you happen to have sitting at your house. Yeah, or you, if you're used to chucking around fireballs in D&D, you'll have like 10, 15 D6 anyway. <laughs> That's true. Well, I think it's also <laughs> the kind of thing that is probably more... Uh, D6s are probably easier to come to in places like public schools that probably have in every classroom a couple of, you know, really old board games that never get played but are a good source of D6s. Yeah, yeah, for sure, definitely. So uh, a thing you mentioned earlier was character sheets. And uh, one of the things, and you were also talking about once the game comes out, hopefully building a community so there are multiple people like working on one shots and stuff like that. One of my favorite things about the tabletop community right now is there are so many people making alternative versions of stuff like that. So I I, I think that's um like obviously you'll need the base kind of quote unquote official sheet, but I, I think it's really interesting that like once you get out there and start building that community, you're gonna have options. And I I always because you're somebody who's working on making a game, so I was wondering how would you feel if uh, like you know if you saw after your game came out, somebody has made a an updated version or a different version of the sheet you'd worked on. <laughs> I'd be delighted. That'd be brilliant. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's something I've got, I've got to got to think about. I know uh, D and D did lots of work, and other publishers have started doing work now, basically to give other people permission to sell works based off their own IP with within some parameters, and that's something. I've got on my mind, but I, I want to make that as easy and as simple as possible. So it's something that's going to have to be worked out. But something I thought about, for example, is someone goes off and writes a couple of new classes for Expediate, as happens quite a bit these days in 5e. I was thinking, as long as they allow me to put them up on the Expediate site or they upload them themselves, um, then potentially then they can go ahead and sell that. That's great. Actually, now speaking of classes, what what is I guess what does the game look like mechanically? We've talked about dice and we've talked a bit about leveling, but what do like classes and monsters and all and like structure look look like at least as far as you've worked on it so far? So, in some ways, it's quite similar to D anD D, and then in some ways, it's it's very different. So, in Expediate, there are four base classes currently. I'm currently working on the Scion, which will be the fifth base class. But basically, you can be a warrior, mage, priest, or rogue. Okay. And that might sound restrictive, but you can combine them in all kinds of ways. So a paladin might be a warrior priest, and a ranger might be, I don't know, a warrior rogue or a warrior priest, maybe, or something like that. And it's there's a, a thing called advanced classes, which is like prestige classes from back in the day. The difference being it's very, very easy to get into them. You can have an advanced class even at level one, 
So it's not something you have to build up to for a long time. You can potentially go straight in. Although that may not be wise, depending on the build and what you need to do, etc. But basically, you have the four base classes, and you use those. Uh, there are knacks you, you buy with your XP as you earn it. They're very similar to the feats of D&D, and they let you kind of round out your character, but also, what's the words? Build towards their identity. So say you wanted to build a barbarian character, that would be a warrior with a certain set of knacks and a certain set of abilities. A swashbuckler is also a warrior with a different set of abilities. It's not quite so prescriptive. It's not saying, well, you're a barbarian, so therefore you don't wear armor and you can't read. And you're a swashbuckler, so therefore you do this and you don't do that. It's more around trying to set up careful prerequisites. So a swashbuckler has abilities when they're unarmored and using a light weapon. And a barbarian, say, gets their abilities when they're lightly armored or unarmored and wielding a two-hand weapon. So rather than just saying, oh, you're this and therefore you can't do that, it's more about each individual feat is kind of has its prerequisites set up to try and mesh nicely with a particular concept. You can still have it if you have a different concept. They just may not mesh as well. So it is a bit of a balancing act. Well, it's a massive balancing act. But for me, it allows that freedom of character generation, which I feel that sometimes you don't get in other games. Yeah. It also sounds like you get uh, a lot more choice as a player because that's the one thing about D&D is that once you've selected your character, like that's kind of your only decision every level is do I take another level in something else or do I keep going in, in my current class? Because there's so many games where what you get when you level up is a whole bunch of choices on how you want your character to grow. And I think exposing people to that through your RPG, that's fantastic because I want to see more RPGs out there that players have a lot more choice and control over how their character grows and not just, instead of just choosing what you want to be next level. Absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. It was one of my frustrations and one of the things that kicked me off down this line in the first place. It was actually a little bit of an aside, but I actually started working on Expediate first. RPG Kitchen actually came out, came around because of Expediate, but that's a different story. But yeah, as you level up in Expediate, you've got very wide options. Um, you can be a mage in heavy armor if you want. You can, I don't know, be a goblin that rides around on golems. There's all sorts you can do without being completely open. I've played D&D games in the past using Mutants and Masterminds as the system, which is good fun, but you can literally do everything in that. And it's about kind of having that line so that you have the choice, you have the options, but it's not a complete, you can't do everything. There's there's some opinion on what you can do. It's just tries to be light-handed, I guess. Yeah, light-handed. Yeah, you provide a framework, but not a like not a completely open bullet, but and also not a really rigid structure. That's right. So, I mean, one of the first things I did when I started building the system was work out how you could build, um, say, the eleven base classes of D and D using Expediate. So, if you want to, if you want something recognizable, if you want to be a monk, you want to be a sorcerer, you want to be a cleric, a druid, whatever. This is how you build that. However, if you want to be a warrior who takes on um, kind of shape changes partially into animals, gets their claws and bites attacks, but stays mostly human and bites people, 
go for it. You can do that. So what about tooling for the DM? Like what kind of tools and stuff does this RPG have for DMs to help craft encounters and stories and NPCs? So it's early days on that, but I, I do have some ideas along those lines. I playtested a, a version of Expediate called Expediate Quest, and that uses, um, excuse me, cards and locations, a bit similar to the Pathfinder card game, and basically sets up a scenario where actually everyone can play. And that's something I, I quite like the idea of, is that instead of having the DM sit out and potentially having a, I don't know, a different kind of fun. I like the idea that every now and then you can sit down for an RPG as a group and everyone join in. So, for example, in this first scenario, I playtested, what was it? Oh, yeah, you had to find someone. There was a missing merchant and you go to town and you kind of explore. And what happened, there was a, there was a bunch of clues and they were hidden around the different buildings. So as you explored, you found out different things. So even I played that through and even though I knew the setup, I didn't know where the clues were. I knew what they were, to be fair, but I didn't know where they were. So to a degree, I got to play that out. Um, that's not going to work as it is for an RPG, but I think there's a lot I've learned from that about how you can set up an adventure, how you can set up a scenario. In terms of building NPCs, I'm working on some of that stuff at the moment and looking at how you can really quickly build an NPC or even a, a creature, a new creature, very quickly just using a bunch of keywords. Oh, no, like... A wolf might be a fierce predator with the pack trait or something like that. Or you might build a warrior saying they're a finesse warrior skilled in X, Y, and Z. And very quickly you can build a monster or a character um, enough, enough to be used as an NPC, probably not as a PC, but enough to be used as an NPC fairly quickly. So I think that's one of the things that I like the most about uh, Eclipse Phase and Star Wars Edge of the Empire is that creating enemies, NPCs, or, uh, or just creatures for them to the players to encounter out in the world is really easy. You don't need a lot. Like there's, it's very easy to figure out how to balance like a sudden encounter that you need to throw together on the spot, or if you're doing it ahead of time, it's still really easy. That ability to create NPCs and enemies quickly, I found is really important for DMs, especially if they're doing more improv style games. But uh, knowing that this game, you'd be able to do stuff, create NPCs and encounters. I like that you're trying to make it easy so that DMs don't have to think about it a lot. <laughs> Actually comes about because I am very much an improv GM. I, I struggle to prepare I ran a convention game a little while ago and I really struggled to sit down and plan it out in advance. And in the end, I gave up. It's like, no, I'll, I'll make sure I've got all the characters created in advance so people have a character sheet because that's nice. But I'm not even going to work out what's going to happen in those four hours because I just can't. That's not how I work. So yeah, being able to create monsters, enemies, uh, interesting people on the flies is something that I do a lot. So it helps me to build the tools as I go to quickly go, right, uh, you're facing a dragon. I haven't actually started up dragons yet, but hey, this is broadly what they're going to be able to do. I think that it's uh, it's probably easier to create tools that can help an improv GM that are also useful to a non-improv GM, whereas it's much harder to do it the other way. Creating 
creating tools that are useful for non-improvers first and then improvers because improvers need stuff that's fast and quick and just works without having to think about it very much. Whereas if you're able to plan out ahead of time, it's okay if it takes 30 minutes to create an NPC when you're, when you've got plenty of time to prepare ahead of time. But if you're in the middle of a game and you needed the stats for an NPC right now, it's always nice to know that you can just throw something together and uh, not have to worry too much about it. Yeah, the thing I quite like that I discovered in playtesting is that if you're not too sure exactly what an enemy should be able to do, but you know they should be tough, you just give them more dice to roll. <laughs> Literally, you just increase the size of their dice pool and say, right, well, let's see what happens. Yeah, I'm, I was also... Uh, so briefly, you mentioned uh, Mutants and Masterminds earlier, and uh, I was a bit worried that it would take some cues from that as far as building monsters, because I, I've never run a game, but I have played in a couple, and I know that my DMs sometimes took hours to make a single npc because you it, everything is point by all the way down right so i really like that you're you're looking at a keyword system and trying to make it as easy on the gm as possible yeah definitely because I've, I've realized that you know in expedia you get 10 xp per level and if you want to make a level 10 opponent that's 100 points and if you're spending them one by one that's going to take a while so i'm much like much prefer the idea of going right you know this this creature is um well trained in combat so it's got 10 out of 10 in combat that's 10 points done and you know it's got these abilities it's got claws they're nasty okay nasty claws we know what that means and uh yeah i i don't have time to sit around statting out anything for an hour <laughs> so i i i make things quick and i think one of the the unexpected benefits of having a system that is easy and quick to set up is that it's much more accessible for uh for younger kids because having a book that you might like especially for kids in like elementary school who want to get into the like playing tabletop games having something that's simple and easy means that it's a lot easier for say a librarian to you know pick up the game real quick and be able to teach a bunch of kids during uh, a rainy lunch day or something rather than like we've talked before about like the price, but having something that's easier to get into because all the rules are kind of, they're a lot easier to understand. So it's a lot easier for non-gamers to be able to have something they can explain and get other people into. Yeah, for sure. My, my latest playtest group, they're brilliant because, um, they're not familiar with role-playing. They, they've maybe done some 10 years ago, but even then just a little. So they're very inexperienced and it, it makes them great for playtesting because they question all kinds of stuff. But the brilliant thing I found is when I got them set up, I thought it was going to take forever. I'd actually, I was actually planning on using the first session just for getting them up to speed and building characters. But within 15 minutes, um, they had characters and we were started. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's amazing. With 5e, I know people have been playing it since it came out and have been playing D&D for way longer, and it still takes us an hour at least to make a character. So being able to do anything that quickly, especially as a player, is great. Because it also means that, like, say your character dies in combat or something, well, it doesn't take, you know, you can get back into the game that session instead of, you know, having to wait till next session because, yeah, it's going to take you an hour to build the character and stuff like that. Yeah. Definitely. And to make it even quicker, um, for the last playtest, I came up with a bunch of archetypes. They're things like 
um, guards, archers, uh, conjurers, healers, things like that, kind of basic kind of one word archetypes. And I started out 12 of those at first level. So you can, if you're just starting, you think, oh, I want to kind of play maybe an archer. You go, okay, well, here's the archer. You don't have to be this exactly. You can tweak the points, but if you want an archer, here it is. Off you go. That's perfect. Uh, Sean, do you have any more questions for Adam? Not the last thing. It's probably not something you've put a a ton of thought into, but what is the, like, do you have a a default setting? And like, is this a fantasy? Is it more sci-fi? Just tell us a little bit more about the, the fluff around the game. Okay, yeah. I, I do have a, a default setting, and uh, <laughs> it's infinite, so that's nice. <laughs> so what it is, is there's a series of realms, and there's a magical doohickey, whatever the, the phrase is. Basically, all of these realms are connected by this Hall of Mirrors. So every single one of these worlds has a, a room in it. If you go to the room, they're stretching off from this room an infinite corridor, and every few feet on either side there's a mirror. And if you step through one of these mirrors, you come out into the corridor again, but in a different world. So essentially, it's all these interconnected realms of existence. And that's the kind of the setup. They're all fantasy worlds. They do vary. Some of them are kind of, I don't know, caveman, dinosaur times. Some of them are as modern as, say, Victorian times. So you've got a real variety. It's all fantasy but different kind of eras of fantasy. And the core idea is that there's an empire that stretches across many of these realms, and it's a a trade empire. And uh, basically, they look out for themselves, and they go out searching, seeing if other realms want to join them. And the player characters play the role of troubleshooters and fixers, and sometimes enforcers, that go round the empire and the edges of the empire fixing problems sorting things out banging heads whatever okay sounds cool i love the kind of hall of mirrors like interconnected universe thing because that also easily allows people to integrate new settings that someone else may have written after the game comes out into theirs it's literally like oh i really want to run this but i don't want to change the characters oh well you know we could have them stumble into this world because we already have this kind of anchor between all the worlds that is a established part of the game you don't even need to make make up an excuse you just go oh yeah this is the one that you wind up in that's great and you have interesting characters because People can say, I'm an elf from a kind of steampunk fantasy world, or I'm an elf from a Jurassic era world or or whatever. And uh, yeah, they can come, where the characters come from, their backgrounds can be so diverse. And also the the worlds as well, it's just fun to explore. So some of the worlds I've used, some of them, I know they're desert worlds or water worlds. (laughs) Thanks, Kevin Costner. Or um, (laughs) (laughs) one was... A nasty one. I think it was had the the record for the shortest time spent in. I think the the PCs went into this world and within ten minutes they're out again because it was basically run by insects and <laughs> it was completely. They managed to rescue some of the orcs that lived there, but it was basically uninhabitable more or less for for humanoids. Uh, and then recently the the players went to another world where it was very very steampunk and it was quite technologically advanced, but there was the the thing there that actually all their techno magic was destabilizing the environment. 
and they had all these massive lightning storms storms and they were having to decide how to how to continue because their the magic that they were using was was essentially destroying the environment i think it's fantastic that your game can support all these different kinds of ideas and 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 themes and settings because D, like in the pretty sure it's in the dm's guide it has some stuff about oh you can run a more science fantasy game like maybe this your game is set after the apocalypse and there's like here's some example stats for a laser gun and a like jetpack and stuff like that <laughs> and it still doesn't quite fit but i think the games that let you tell whatever story it is that you want to tell whether it's more like a steampunk murder mystery or a high fantasy adventure like having a system that can support all those different kinds of stories i think is i think it's really great because not everybody wants to tell the same kind of story yeah thank you yeah i've it's certainly been fun for me uh and i hope, <laughs> I hope my players as well <laughs> i i quite like the one they did um where they met these dwarves and these these dwarves were just digging and they were digging and they're like okay these dwarves are digging that's good and they they left the dwarves and they went to the surface for a bit and discovered this massively advanced civilization on the surface who for whatever reasons didn't go underground and they well they went up there for a bit but got a bit lost and they went down eventually discovered those the dwarves had been there for hundreds of years and were slowly tunneling under the city and it turned out that centuries ago someone had set the dwarves on a path to destroy the city and actually then forgotten about them and gone off and these dwarves just for generations just carried on mining out underneath this city without them really realizing what was going on and the people above knowing what was going on or caring because hey they were just primitive dwarves <laughs> and actually sorry <laughs> i've lost where i'm going with the story but it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun it was a very different story it was it was interesting to kind of go into dwarven culture in that way and how they were just quite happily digging and mining and getting on with it um even though they didn't really know why anymore because it'd been centuries since they'd started and no one really remembered it adam uh thanks so much for coming on the show today so generally this is this is a bit odd because generally we ask people about whatever specific topic of dming we're talking about but we didn't really do that today so i guess what's one thing you wish you could have told yourself back when you started working on this game oh okay um don't have big dice pulls <laughs> <laughs> Or uh, another one, because I'm I'm generally kind of mathematical, but watch for how fast things are scaling. Because if things are scaling faster than you're leveling, they can get out of hand really fast. Oh. And it's taken me a couple of additions to fix that. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, where can people find you online and where can people support RPG Kitchen? Oh, thank you. Yeah. So you can find the website at rpg.kitchen. Uh, we're on patreon.com slash rpg kitchen and best place to find me is on twitter and again that's rpg kitchen on twitter you know what actually i had one more question for you i just realized um what what charity is rpg supporting where where is that money going and and all that stuff okay so at the moment um all of our charitable contributions go towards action against hunger in the future uh, we might diversify a bit, but at the moment it's just really good to donate to Action Against Hunger. They're an international charity. They work across the world and they work on uh, not just giving food to people, but resolving underlying issues. So uh, getting water, getting clean water in, helping teaching farming techniques, giving people seeds, 
basically helping people feed themselves. Amazing. Okay. Thanks so much, Adam. Thank you very much. Yeah. Sean, do you you have anything else you wanted to ask before we head off? Nope. All right. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. Uh, You can find us at DMs of Vancouver on Twitter. Uh, You can find me at Jesse the Red and Sean at Sean P. Hagen. And we've got a Patreon. For as little as just a dollar a month, you can get access to episodes a week early. Um, Huge thank you to our patrons, Craig Chapman and Haley Boros. Uh, also, a big thanks to our sponsors, Dice Bard and Libris Arcana. And we are now part of the Cave Goblin Network. Thanks, Doug and Talia and everyone else over there for uh, letting us join your group. Um, if you like the show, uh, please give us a review on iTunes. It means a lot, and it helps us get the, the show out there more. And uh, thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.